Ennis Britton, how can I help you? Hi, I'm a new student services director, and I was on a recent webinar your firm special ed team hosted, which was awesome. And I was hoping we could talk about some follow-up questions I have. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you. Um, but uh, And congratulations, and I suppose maybe condolences, too, on your new position. <laughs> um, how's the transition been going for you? Well, to be honest, the last director ended up in a few disputes with some parents, including a due process case that got mm -hmm. pretty challenging. And I'm hoping to hit the reset button as far as how parents interact with our team. I got into this field to help kids, not to sit in hearings with lawyers. No offense to you. <laughs> None, none taken at all. I get it. Well, uh, look, improving relationships can be a really good investment in your time, uh, especially because it sounds like you're inheriting a few things, and, and that happens. Uh, so we've got some parents maybe that are a little primed for a fight. We've got some staff that are maybe, um, you know, I don't want to say particularly sensitive, but a bit on edge, let's say, because they also didn't sign up for those fights. So um, there's a lot of practical, straightforward things that we could put in place to help kind of reset that tone, make sure we're building productive, positive partnerships with parents. Let's start working on a plan. Oh, that would be awesome. Thank you. Welcome to On the Call. Ennis Britton Special Education Team Podcast. I am Erin Westendorf-Fortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. So I think parent participation at meetings and that parent involvement can be pretty tricky, right? Mm -hmm. In looking at how do you move forward from maybe where bad relationships have been to go better, from good relationships maintaining them, or not knowing where a parent relationship has, where it stands with people within your district or within certain buildings, right? Mm -hmm. And looking at IDEA, I don't really know that they're fully clear in a definition of what is required for yeah. parent participation. This is right there with some other terms that we'd really love to have that, you know, we'd love to have a FAPE definition that's really clear in the regs or progress monitoring, things like that. It's just not there. This is another one of those. Throw it in the pile. I mean, they do have some right, certain requirements for mm -hmm. when parents have to be interacting and you need to be, have them at the table. Right? I like to call those mandated opportunities. Going to coin that phrase. Yes. Kind of like, you know, when we talk Copyright. about <laughs> Jeremy Neff, copyrighted. <laughs> what did you just call them? Mandated opportunities. Mandated opportunities. Apparently it went in one ear and out the other when I mm -hmm. heard it the first time. But in looking at those mandated opportunities, right, it's notice of meetings, having them present at meetings, considering what they have to say at those meetings, giving them procedural safeguards, inviting them to the evaluation meetings. But beyond that, it, there's not much left. And so I, I think it's fair for a special education director, a student services director to really maybe struggle with, how do I build stronger parent relationships? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? You know, How do I know I'm doing the right thing or training my staff to do the right thing? Right. Well, and I, I think that uh, another challenge that relates to this, uh, our colleague uh, Bill Dieters will talk about, uh, he'll have people do, you know, show your hand, you know, how many IEP meetings are you going to have? And inevitably, there's somebody with, you know, 50, 60, 70 IEP meetings they're planning on in that school year. And for these parents, you know, often it's that one meeting. And uh, sometimes the familiarity that school folks get with the processes uh, can uh cause us to lose track a little bit of, of what the parents' feelings are coming in and the messages that they might receive 
um, from how it almost rote uh, and, and routine that things could be for the school people. What does that mean to a parent? They just don't want to be another cog in the wheel. Exactly. You know, you are the wheel as the proverbial school district. But mm -hmm. then, well, we're going to mention all, a lot of people from our special yeah. team today. <laughs> I mean, right? If you go from Gazelle Spencer, we're really looking at, we're talking about somebody's baby here. Mm -hmm. Right? And so for them, it could be their annual meeting one day, a few hours. They want to have the full opportunity to get your undivided attention as a school district. And pushing them through the process is not always you know, the best idea. And so how do I know then, Jeremy, if I'm a special education director, student services director, how do I know if I'm doing it right or if I'm doing it wrong? Uh, well, if, you, if you're doing it right, you're not going to notice probably, right? Those, those are the good ones. Things are going well. Those are the calls we don't get. Right. So maybe they do know what it looks like. They just don't bother to call us and tell us what it what it looks like. But we we do get calls when things aren't going well. And, you know, one of the the most common scenarios with that is an overwhelming amount of communication. You know, how many times have you gotten that call? This parent's emailing, you know, five, six, seven times a day. We're getting calls multiple times a week or or the dreaded the parent and the paraprofessional are texting each other. Right. Those are, those are my favorite. Oh, they you have to control me. those. Or the IEP meetings that mm -hmm. all of a sudden we get the phone call. Well, we've had five. So we've met for a total of about 15 hours on this IEP. And you go, what happened? Mm -hmm. What what has gone terribly awry here? Right. And so it's kind of one of those, if you will, you know, it when you see it. Yep. Situations that, you know, when it's gone bad, there's maybe silence when it's gone well. So mm -hmm. just like anything in, in normal life, when things have gone bad, 10 people put in a review. But if it's gone well, no one responds, right? On black letter law, what true parent participation is that looks like, where else can we look, Jeremy, that help us get an idea of how to be successful at the table? Well, just like we do with those other undefined terms like FAPE and progress monitoring, we can look to case law. And uh, we've, we've trotted out an oldie but a goodie here, uh, Hamilton County versus Deal. It's in the Sixth Circuit, so that governs over Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, and Michigan. And this case is from 2004, but uh, the concepts certainly apply uh, in full force today. So it's a really good one to look at, and it's nice because it's got a really well-developed factual record. Sometimes we're missing a lot of facts. Uh, with this, we have a child, Zachary, with autism and uh, very engaged parents. Uh, they arrange for lots of private services for their child um, using ABA therapy, and uh, the, the parents were doing their work simultaneously with what the school was doing, uh, at least initially. So they were working together. The school uh, assigned the child to what they called uh, their comprehensive development class. So it was a program the school had already implemented serving similar uh, children with similar profiles and uh, they'd invested in the uh, TEACH method, which uh, folks out there listening who uh, work with students with autism might be familiar with that. Really well-respected, good program, and the school had invested heavily in getting their people trained. I think the training used to be down in North Carolina, and this was, um, I want to say, a Tennessee school district. So they were sending folks out of state really serious about this. Well, uh, as time progressed, uh, the parents uh, wanted a particular approach to the ABA that was different from what the school was doing. So the school continued to offer what they had. Parents had other interests. And uh, within a couple of years, they started filing minority reports. So there's a red flag, right, that we have some uh, parent participation concerns that 
Uh, they felt they weren't being heard. So they start filing these minority reports. And, and minority reports must be something specific to Tennessee, right? Or at least it's the parent's objection is what mm-hmm. I interpret it to be, to say, here's why we disagree with the implementation of this IEP. Right? Or they wanted Tom Cruise to be a part of the IEP team, maybe. <laughs> was, that, was that the right actor? Uh, yes. Good. Yes. <laughs> Really sad, but yes. Uh, but also, I mean, this kid started, we're talking three, we're talking pre-K kindergarten when these mm-hmm. fights happened in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. So even though a case from 2004 out of the Sixth Circuit, we're talking a really young kid in the late 90s that was really having a fight already with the family. And I even think part of the notes that at least I saw were in the second IEP was 95 pages long. That's that is another a, red flag. A huge red flag, right? Ninety-five pages for an IEP is is pretty substantive. Well, and and it described uh, IEP meetings happening October, November, December, February, March. Uh, another red flag. So I mean, this 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 case is littered with uh, red flags, and again, it's because we have such a great factual background, right? Correct. Um, so we get around and for the third IEP the school's got a lot of really specific things they're adding in here one-on-one aids uh, discrete trial training um, OT PT speech therapy I mean it's a really seemingly robust IEP but still there's that underlying dispute about the that methodology the parents had a particular ABA approach they wanted the school wanted to use the investment it had made in the teach method and uh, the due process complaint finally comes uh, a, a few years, I want to say uh, two or three years after the child first enrolled. And uh, the, the killer on this one is that hearing, 27 days long, 20 witnesses. I would hate to be one of those witnesses because I'm just, I'm not great at math, but that means the average witness was on the stand for, for more, more than, than a day. day. No, thank you. Uh, so uh, outcome-wise, I mean... I mean, outcome-wise, I think, at least from the due process, decision itself, it was not in favor of the school, right? And so IHO, I imagine, uh, or their equivalent in Tennessee said, listen, school, you didn't really even consider what the parents were bringing forward from this ABA methodology, or at least the specific one they wanted. You had a categorical sort of, we don't do that, we use our method here, And because of that unofficial policy, no one really considered what the parents wanted. You had done this thing called predetermination, which Mm -hmm. is the scary word uh, in in the parent participation world, right? ESY was also part of the battle, and the IHO said that they needed to give ESY, and the school had to reimburse the parents for their private ABA therapies, which was a substantive amount, right? Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of a line in the sand in terms of pre-K and K, but I don't, for purposes of our conversation today, I don't really know that that mattered. Not a good outcome at due process, but there's more to the story, right? They won uh, when it was appealed to federal court. So the school takes it to federal court, and federal court looks at the record and says, gosh, that very fa- some of those facts we were pointing to as indications that there were some challenges with parental participation, all the meetings, all the communication coming from the family. The federal court looked at that and said, well, it seems like the parents, their, their participation was robust. So... Talked Great. about their forceful advocation. Forceful. If a court were to ever tell me that I was forceful, I would read that as I was I was not so pleasant. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> so is that what I use if, if you swing by my office and you're talking at me about something? I'd be like, Aaron, you're being rather forceful. 
yes, and, and then I will give you a not-so-kind gesture and walk out. But, it, I mean, the district court, right, sided on behalf of the school, but then mm-hmm. we the parents, rightfully so or wrongfully so, whom, whatever side you're on, decided to appeal that up to the Sixth Circuit, which I think gives us more of this level of detail of what parent participation actually looks like from a Sixth Circuit level, yet to be overturned, yet to be changed. But the Sixth Circuit said, no, school, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You were not actually considering what the parents were bringing to the table. The parents, and I view this as, you know, bad facts make bad law, Mm -hmm. right? But it does give us an indication. The Sixth Circuit said the parents were told they couldn't ask questions, Right. The school never spoke with any of these private ABA providers, never really delved into what the parents were asking them to do. They just sort of carte blanche said, we like our program. Again, from the facts of the case, we like our program and we're only going to use our program. Yep. And, and, and there were some bad facts as far as some of the other communication of individual team members who were saying things like this is a sensitive case uh, because they were worried about. Um, the the cost of having the fight and also of not being able to take advantage of the program they'd already paid for teach and and uh, people talking about essentially the powers that be needing to approve if we're going to do something different so there are a lot of bad facts here so the pendulum swung the other way at the Sixth Circuit there is no Supreme Court review um, I don't normally get too excited in our podcast actually reading from the decisions but there's some excerpts from the Sixth Circuit's decision that really uh, summarize this well, I think. Uh, it, it states that the district court erred in assuming that merely because the deals, that's the family, the deals were present and spoke at the various IEP meetings, they were offered adequate opportunity to participate. Participation must be more than a mere form. It must be meaningful. Where there was no way that anything the deals said or any data the deals produced could have changed the school system's determination of appropriate services, their participation was no more than after-the-fact involvement. Powerful stuff there. Absolutely. I mean, that's where we went from this careful consideration concept, right, of what the parents have to say to making sure the parent participation is truly meaningful. But I view this to be in alignment with the mindset of you don't have to have an empty mind coming into an IEP meeting or an evaluation meeting. You have to have an open mind. So you have to be willing to entertain the idea, not perfunctory, right? You have Mm -hmm. to be willing to engage in the conversation. So what this may look like in practice is we're asking questions, right? We're doing what, you know, I think is really important in normal everyday life. We're listening with an intent to hear, right? An intent for understanding, not listening to respond. Yep. And, and I noticed you're trying to skip over. I've, I've got a, uh, one of my history dork notes on this case, and, and you, you can't see this, but Aaron's shaking her head at me. Uh, the, the court referred to the, the mountain of evidence that the family presented that, that the school never meaningfully responded to as the Golconda of, of evidence, not Wakanda, Golconda of evidence. I had to look that one up. Um, and I'm sure whatever law clerk wrote the decision did as well. Apparently, it was the mine that the Hope Diamond, oh. as well as the Heart of the Sea Diamond from uh, the movie the... Titanic. <laughs> Joking. Oh, that <laughs> hurts. I said Heart of the Sea. I should have said Sea of Flames Diamond from All the Light We Cannot See. A wonderful book if you haven't read it yet. Um, so there you go. A little bit, a little bit of history uh, dork in there. So I think you were actually trying to. <laughs> Move us on. Sorry, to. I'm going back to now in my head the images of Britney Spears and the 
No, like her music video of. Wow, Jeremy, we might only be a few years apart, but our <laughs> our, our references culture. to pop culture are completely different. Yours are in the 1700s. Mine are, you know, in the past three decades. Fair but enough. But cool. It's a Titanic Britney Spears reference that during the 90s. No, had... not Britney Spears. Yes. Um... She ha- it was in her song and in the music video. Okay. Anywho, so parent <laughs> participation. And yes. The... It was the Canadian talking the about? actress singer lady yeah no i i understand who was in the movie oh. britney spears had a song oh. and she's talking about it in the music video of this song i regret bringing up golconda I'm, i apologize <laughs> all i everyone. think of right now is like wakanda or anaconda <laughs> and none of that is where we need to be so practical in, tips <laughs> practical tips on parent participation i think part of it is going to what we just said earlier was that this listening for understanding, Mm -hmm. not listening just for response, right? So listening to truly understand what are the parents coming to the table with and why. So if they are saying, I want this one approach to my kids' reading needs, OG or, you know, Linda Mood Bell services or this science of reading, any of these things, right? Why? What is it that they're wanting, right? We get questions anymore. I want an AT of L okay, well, what is the need we're trying to fulfill with this? Is this just because you heard from some amazing podcast that assistive tech evals are fantastic? Or is it because you're actually looking to fulfill a need your child has? Yeah, I, th- I think that distinction uh, between people's positions, which is the I want you know, this particular ABA with the deal family, the position versus the underlying interest. And it's hard to make positions line up. If, if the school has one position, the parent has another, it's hard to get those to line up. It's either that preferred ABA or it's teach. When you start to talk about underlying interests, that's where you can find some overlap and actually reach some agreement. But I also think some of that is to laying the groundwork early on with these relationships, right? So with the deal family, it could have been given that we started early on with some pretty hefty IEPs, making sure everyone is operating with the same level of base knowledge. What are all of the acronyms? What does this process look like? So it's almost as if, you know, before you go in to buy a car, you want to understand what the full process is for test driving, purchasing, what does a lease or contract to buy look like, sitting down for all of that with a family on the front end of these meetings to say, hey, here's what... an IEP team meeting looks like. Here's what an evaluation team meeting looks like. It's almost more than your procedural safeguards are going to give. But I think that helps building that, hey, we're a team. We're going to help bring you up to where we all are at so that we can all speak the same language at a meeting. Absolutely. Another thing that we can control pretty easily is the literal environment of the meeting. That sends a message to the family about how valued they are and how much you want them to be there. And so while educators are used to kind of making do and getting by because you're so busy working with limited resources, for those meetings, having chairs that are the appropriate size for adults. I love sitting in tiny chairs. It makes me feel like a giant. And I'm short, (laughs) so I never feel like a giant. (laughs) Uh, Kleenex, water bottles, room temperature, showing up professionally dressed. Um, and making sure the room's not going to be interrupted by people walking in and out. Those are all things in those mandated opportunities to send the message of you're valued. We're glad you're here. We're serious about serving your child. 
But I also think having part of that in the conversation to watch not just what they're saying, but what they're not saying, mm -hmm. right? So and that's why I don't like virtual meetings. I know it's, it's where we are now for everything. But there is an element that we're missing body language. We're missing the foot twitching. We're missing the while the yes may come verbally, the whole body is saying no or I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And that part I, I do think is really important to how that relationship goes on because even though I've, I've been a part of a number of meetings where parents do not engage with any questions, you go through, you know, profile, we go through the special factors section, we go through goals, any questions, any questions, any questions, no, 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 no. And then you get to the end and parents sign disagreement that they, you know, don't – they don't like or agree with any of the goals or services in the IEP, and you're stuck because they won't. They didn't engage in the process themselves. Mm -hmm. Where I think if we could have had more of that in-person view of a nonverbal, we might have been somewhere else. Right. Yeah. It's really hard. It's a new skill set that we're still figuring out. I don't enjoy this new skill set. No. <laughs> Not at all. Especially when people can turn off all of their cameras. But uh -huh. you know, when looking at it, you know, if you had to pick one of your Practical tips, just one that you view to be the best indicator for how to make sure that parents are participating or the best indicator of that relationship is good. What do you think it is? Oh, boy. I mean, I think we've hit some of the best ones. Uh, and again, it's almost it's the negative because if you don't notice it, things are going well. It's sort of like food at a wedding. Nobody really talks. It's No one leaves a wedding saying, my God, that was the best meal I ever had. But boy, if it's terrible food, people talk about it. This is true. Right? Well, that's parent participation. If things are going well, you're not going to even remember it. But if things go poorly, you're not going to forget it. Uh, so so I think, you know, maybe instead of saying what's, what's the best, I'd say one thing we haven't touched on yet that is another easy win, sort of like having the water bottles on the table, everything else, is graciously give that which the law requires. And I know that sounds obvious, but if we're going to have to do something, if the law requires, for example, that, hey, this child's disability made him do that behavior, it's a manifestation, there's a, a world of a difference between a statement like, we have to let him back in school even though the other kids would be expelled. There's a world of a difference between that and uh, we all want him to be successful. So let's talk about strategies to reduce the risk of this happening again. So graciously giving and framing and describing what the law requires anyway, that's an easy win. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Be sure to check out other episodes at ennisbritton.com or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to share, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. Whether by phone or this podcast, we look forward to being on the call with you again soon.